0: Uh, you know, it's interesting, I was uh, shifting a few things out in my message last night and, and actually changed the whole thing. And I didn't realize when I went this direction last night that it was actually probably linked with our first song today. And I, well, I woke up this morning thinking, hold it, isn't that first song about a grave in shame? So I actually want to speak on the lie of shame, that shame is an, is an actual lie. Shame is not anywhere in heaven. Shame is not destined by God. Conviction is, but not shame. Shame is a lie of the devil. It's real, but it is a lie. So I wanna talk a little bit about how do we not live in shame? What does shame look like? How do we become the people that we are called to be? Shame is one of the greatest things that will hold us back. Shame gets wrapped into our minds, It blurs our vision of the things around us. It blurs our vision on how we see the world and it blurs our vision on how we see people. Shame dictates our decisions. Shame can hold us captive in secret sins. That's shame holding us captive in things in our lives. Shame is a sly and it's an evil enemy, probably one of the more vicious enemies that I have seen raise its ugly head over this last year and a half. To where shame is becoming normal and actually requested by government officials or by people. That if you see your neighbor not wearing a mask, shame them or phone the COVID police or do something. It's about shame. You see, if you don't obey the narrative, if you don't obey what they say, I have watched people, news stations, governments try to shame you for what you believe and what you stand for if it's against what they say. And I want to tell you something, I don't serve my president or prime minister, I serve my God, I pray for my prime minister, I pray for the president's but I serve my gods. And my God says that when his son died on that tree and rose again, my shame died on that tree with him. And that blood rolled right down and choked the living hell right out of my shame. That's what I say. Because shame has almost become acceptable in many lives, Many people, many family, and it has been one of the greatest destructions of the family, but of relationship and intimacy with God. Well, how do you know a shame lives in you? I always try to say, well, what's the first response when you make a mistake? If you make a mistake, do you feel shameful? Do you try to beat yourself up? I'm not talking about learning and growing. I'm talking about actual shame. Many people that have shame, they literally try and are willing to do almost anything to defend the behavior to minimize the impact of shame. Even to the point where you're an innocent person looking at someone who just goofed up. And now they're going to try to minimize their mistake By lying, by twisting things, by doing anything. Because they don't want to feel shame. Because God never created the human being to live in shame. He actually created them to be sons and daughters of the king in his image. People will anxiously do whatever it takes to make an embarrassment go away. One of the common things I see in my own life, especially years ago, when I would get embarrassed, I'd do something dumb, I would get so angry at myself, I would literally spew my anger on anyone else that tried to laugh at me. It's hard to learn how to laugh with people about you. I was super good at cracking jokes about everybody else, but I really wasn't good at receiving it. (laughs) What did you say? You know who you're talking to? No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Have you ever felt like everyone's against you? Shame. Have you ever felt that people are not as good as... as, People see you not as good as you want them to see you? Have you ever felt that no matter how hard you try, you just can't do things right sometimes have you ever heard the little voice in your head say you don't fit in nobody likes you well let me make sure that you understand that if you hear a voice say that to you it is a lie of the devil You see, our point on earth is not to be liked by everybody. Our point on earth is to be a son and a daughter of the king and preach the gospel into all the nations. And I will guarantee you, anyone who hates God and hates the gospel of Jesus Christ is probably going to hate you or dislike you. And don't carry their dislike into shame on you, to silence you, because shame loves to silence God's will be done. That's what he likes to do is silence it. We must understand that conviction is from God. Conviction is something that we should and must have, but shame is from the devil. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, conviction was an appropriate action of their actions. That they got convicted as soon as they knew that they had sinned. There was a conviction that came over them. Shame started to fall into them. Why? Because they actually listened to the devil, the author of shame, instead of God, the author of identity. And so because they went ahead, conviction was not strong enough to stop them from sin. Because conviction from God will actually stop you from stepping into something where you can be shamed. But as soon as you don't have a strong enough conviction in a situation, and you stumble and you fall, immediately shame is knocking on your door. Because when we lose conviction, we open our doors to shame. And that lying, deceiving devil is all but ready to come in. Conviction is like warning. Uh, You know, when you're driving your car down the road and all of a sudden your oil light starts blinking and a buzzer goes on. Conviction would say, hmm, phone your husband. No. Conviction would say, pull over, stop. Before your engine blows up. And that's the same in our own lives. When we live a life of conviction, before we do something that blows ourselves up, we stop and go, whoa, what am I doing? Conviction says you're getting ready or you're doing something wrong. Like when the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he says, for all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. What Paul is saying is that when you have done something wrong, you can repent from it and find true connection back into God. That's what conviction does. Conviction stops you, or if you've done something, conviction sets in so you can reconnect intimacy with Father again in your life. James says... You're wrong, yeah, you're a fool, you're a nobody. I can't believe you did that, you're not good enough. But conviction says, I am so, so sorry, oh Lord God, forgive me. You are forgiven, you are forgiven. And I'm going to slap those gates shut when shame tries to come in. A conviction helps you believe you're worthy and shame pushes you and lies to you that you're unworthy. I want to tell you something. You are all worthy as sons and daughters of the King. You know, Jesus, as your Lord and Savior, you are worthy to be adopted into the family of God. If you think your past sin keeps you out of the kingdom, that's shame. That's the lie of the devil. Are you kidding me? You can't do nothing to keep you out of the love of God. But conviction draws you into repentance so you don't live in the continuation of sin. Conviction draws into you and you repent, but God has already forgiven you because Christ rose from that dirty grave. When you listen to shame, you will never feel secure in your identity. Shame will make you always feel that you need to do more to prove that you're okay. But that drive for approval many times, is funded and fired and fueled by shame. The pursuit of feeling worthy by being better, more successful. You know, I'm going to be better. You know what? There's nothing wrong with pursuing to be the best that you can be, as America Army says, all that you can be. Well, let me tell you what all means from a biblical perspective. You're the apple of God's eye. You are a son, a daughter of his king. You are a liver of, not a liver. You live in his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) Thinking I don't even like liver. Your life, you have more abundantly. So if you're not feeling an abundant life, What's wrong? It ain't God that's wrong. It's something in us. You're called with purpose and destiny. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. Ephesians 2, starting verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Oh, he loved us. He loved us first. Verse 5, even when we were dead in trespasses, even when you were dead in sin, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Where's your seat? In the heavenly places with Jesus, verse seven, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. Tell you what, you're not. You're feeling a little bit of shame, increase your faith, because faith increases the grace. Grace allows you to live in an increased faith level to walk in an identity, not what the world or anyone says you are, but what the God of the creator of this earth says you are. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, in other words, you can't do it, you can't make yourself saved. There's nothing you can do to make it happen. Nothing you can do good, And doing wrong does not take you away by the salvation of grace that is available to every one of us through Jesus Christ. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So what's one of the lies of shame? Performance to make you look better. I love excellence. I love when a band practices. Some people say... Oh, you're performing. No, no, we're actually practiced and we're playing the best that we can to our Father God. People get upset, look at the lights, look at the, the drum set, my lord, my lord. Electric guitar and the platforms, oh my heaven. Not to mention it was that anyways. I am all about excellence, I tell you what. You guys probably wouldn't enjoy if the band had never played together, never sang, never tuned the guitars or instruments. You probably wouldn't enjoy. And then people would complain and they would say something like, I can't believe the band doesn't even practice together. They sound terrible. I tell you what, practice being a Christian. It takes work. It takes work. Practice being a son. Practice being a daughter. It actually takes work to change a mindset into an understanding. See, if you just think it and it doesn't apply into the understanding, you're going to think you're a son, but you're not going to live like one. But when you get a deep-rooted understanding of your identity in Christ Jesus, I guarantee you, you will walk with your head high, you will walk with power, you will walk with authority, you will not walk as if, oh my goodness, I'm getting all beat up. No, you're going to walk and say, you dirty devil, you get out of my life because you are rotten scum in Jesus' name. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship. (laughs) Jesus. God took time. Uh, workmanship means that it didn't just happen. He actually works with you. you. You're in a process. I'm in a process of God's workmanship. Think of that. Like, God, maybe he has his hands on me. Twinking me. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Oh, a little bit here, God. It's a little sore neck right there. Here. You hear what I'm saying? We have to understand that we are a work in progress. But that work in progress, if it's by the hands of God, then you don't live in shame. You see, you cannot even be, you cannot have, you do not have to earn worthiness. Because when Paul said this in, 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 in Ephesians 2, 10 that we just read, you are saved by grace, not, not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. What's the gift of God to you? Salvation. It's his love. It's his love before you even knew how to be saved. It's, it's you're his workmanship. You're his best of the best. You see, when he created Adam and Eve, they were his best humans ever. They were his only humans, but they were his best. You're worthy of God's love because of his grace for us. God loved you. If anyone watching or in this room that doesn't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior, God already loves you, no matter what you've done. Romans 5, verse 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Oh, just, you know What? Turn to your right and say, I am loved by God. Turn to your left and say, we're still praying for you. I'm just kidding. No, say, you're loved by God too. See, Adam and Eve were the apple of God's eye. It was his best of creation ever. That didn't change. What changed is when they sinned was how they could relate to God. Thus they were kicked out of the garden, but he still saw them as the apple of his eye. He still loved them impeccably. If he didn't, he would have wiped them out, but he didn't. They became fruitful and multiplied. He began to subdue the earth. And then Jesus came. He died on that cross. But I want to tell you what, Jesus was attacked in his identity as well. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. This is right after John the Baptist baptized Jesus. And Jesus came up out of the water, and a doves ascended on him. Matthew 3, 16. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. Interesting. Were the heavens not open to him before? Who was Jesus up to this point? He was a 30 year old old man who had been told about the prophecies about how he was born from a virgin woman. He was told that how Joseph had actually fully adopted him as his own blood. Like I said last Sunday or a couple Sundays ago, Jesus was adopted by his dad. Why adoption is so vitally important and critical. How did Jesus know for sure? He hadn't done a miracle yet. He hadn't walked on water yet. But some people had told him maybe secretly that he was Jesus. Maybe even the Christ. Christ. How did Mary feel? I don't know. I mean, she supernaturally got pregnant. That was miraculous. Absolutely. The angel told her what was going to happen. But did she have the faith for 30 years? I absolutely believe so. So now Jesus hasn't done a miracle, hasn't, I don't know his connection and relationship directly with the Father at that point. We know that he was left in the temple for three days. We know that he was very wise in, in the readings of the Torah, the readings of the law. He was very, very wise and, and, and he also knew how to be a carpenter. He was taught that, we know that. But now he was baptized. And Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Was that the first time? Probably. But let's get verse 17. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved son. You see, God spoke identity to Jesus. As soon as the Holy Spirit came on, he was baptized, Holy Spirit came on to him. God spoke and boomed it out across all the heavens. This is my son. In whom I am well pleased. The first thing Jesus heard the father say, maybe, audibly, I don't know. As this is my son. Identity. Identity. Papa Chris Bolton says, we can only fulfill our supernatural destiny to the degree that we believe our supernatural identity. Because right after Jesus' baptism, he was led out into the desert by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the devil. And two times, the first two times the devil tempted him, He went after Jesus' identity first. Look at Matthew chapter 4 starting in verse 1. And then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God. The devil is questioning, trying to get Jesus to question his identity. Because he knows that if you question your identity, you slam open a door for him to come in and tack you with the slime of shame. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. You see, the devil was tempting Jesus by his own identity and saying basically that if you're not the son of God, you can't do this. So in other words, you have to perform for your identity. Lie of the devil. I'm okay. I did not fall. I slapped my hand so hard, my watch thought I fell off a ladder or something. She was ready to phone 911. But Jesus answered and said, in verse 4, it is written, It's interesting he didn't have to fight and say, I am the Son of God. He didn't have to try to prove and justify his identity to the devil. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Verse 5, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What a lying, deceiving devil. If you really think you're the Son of God, then go out and do a miracle right now. Perform for your identity. And I'm here to tell you that God is not looking for your performance. He's looking for your heart. He's not looking for how good you do something or how bad you do something. He's not looking for you to keep, a, keep a, a tone in your voice when you sing or not keep a tone in your voice when you sing. What he's looking for is that you don't listen to a deceiving devil that says you're nobody. He's looking for people that say, you know what, I'm going to slam that door shut from the devil because I am Somebody. I am a son, I am a daughter of the king of kings. Verse seven, and Jesus said to him, it is written again, (laughs) tell you what, devil lies to you, use the word. Just be careful, because he probably might know the word better than some of us. He does know the Bible very well. Remember, Satan was one of the high chief angels. Jesus, Jesus said to him, It is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. So in other words, when you lay hands on a sick person, it shouldn't be in your heart that, well, if they get healed, I'll believe I'm a miracle worker. And if they don't, then I just won't do it. No, you have to believe that you are. We sang about it today. That's enough, isn't it? We dance to, you're a miracle worker. This is a house of healing. You already have it. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to contend for it. Because it's not your job that if they get healed or not, it's your job to believe that they will. And pray for them. And lay hands on them. And don't be shamed if it doesn't happen. You know how many times I've laid hands and not seen someone get healed? That shame would have stopped me in ministry years and years ago. But I said, no, it's not my job. It's my duty to lay hands and pray in faith, believing that they will be healed by the stripes across the back of Jesus Christ. I declare a miracle in Jesus' name. Verse 8, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you. You see, the devil loves temptation of wealth and shame of having no money. See, I don't know how much wealth Jesus had, but either way, the devil knew that he didn't have all the kingdoms of the earth. And then if you will fall down and worship him, says the devil. And then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! Ooh, that's a good response that every one of us need to learn a little bit more. Just don't say it to your pastor when he makes a mistake or something like that. Away with you! (laughs) Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Why did the devil leave him? Because he tried twice to nail his identity, and it didn't work. And the third time he tried to buy him and it didn't work. You see, so in other words, if you understand your identity, the devil is away from you. If you don't, the devil's closer to us. The devil knew that if Jesus started questioning his own identity, then Jesus didn't really know who he was. Knowing our true identity in God stops us from needing to perform for approval. So how do you silence the voice of shame? Let me give you some ideas. Learn how to recognize God's voice from the devil's voice. The devil can sound a lot like a voice of God too sometimes. I know people come to me and God told me and it completely went against scripture. Uh, Hey buddy, wrong voice. God never contradicts himself. If it's against scripture, that ain't no voice from God. We need to ask ourselves, when are we hearing truth and when are we hearing a lie? And boy, I have asked that question a lot over the last year and a half. I actually just wanna know truth. I'm sick and tired of the lies. Try writing down all the times that God speaks to you or the devil speaks to you throughout the day. Because he can speak to you too. Infatuation with another woman, if you're a married man, whatever. Things that speak to you the wrong ways. You might be surprised at how often shame is speaking to you as well too. We also need to learn how to be vulnerable. You see, shame loves secrecy. The truth sets us free. Lies put us into shame. To be open and honest with yourself and people takes great risk and you need to have someone close enough to you that you can be open and honest with. That's why I love our life groups. It gives opportunity to be open and honest with people. Because honesty reaps great rewards in your own life. But you need to start first with being open and honest to yourself. And then open and honest with God. Many times when I pray, especially years ago, I would tell God what I knew was a problem in my life. He already knew it, but I would be honest with Him. I'd say, yeah, God, I know You know it, but this is my mistakes. This is my, my problem. This is my sin. This is my issue. Being honest with yourself being honest with God is the start of a greater understanding of true identity reach out to people get feedback you know how sometimes your mind can get so confused because that's the voice of the enemy speaking he just speaks confusion sometimes it's good you know when you get that text message and you get really offended how could that person think that you write them back a worse one I've done that, made the mistake, I've learned, you know what, if I get a text that, that really bothers me, pick up the phone or meet with the person. Because many, many times, how many times have you had experience where a text message, how you read it, was absolutely not how the person was trying to deliver it, because that devil wants us to be shamed, wants us to feel shame to get angry at other people. It's important that you tell someone that you've been listening to shame because it will begin to release you because the power of secrecy and silence is where shame lives and dwells. Learn to recognize your feelings. The ability to share your feelings or shame is the antidote to the venom of shame. Don't hide it in. If you hide it in, you'll self-destruct internally. Learn to take every thought captive. Had to work at that one. Every thought captive. If it's hurtful, dysfunctional, bad friendship, It'd be so much easier when a friendship goes bad that you just agree agree that you'll never speak to him again because of hurt and pain. The reality is, is God has called us to forgive. Doesn't mean agreement with the problem, but we must forgive because lack of forgiveness is the process of implementing shame in your own life. Shame is silenced when we understand that we are not perfect or right all of the time. Shame is silenced when we interpret other people's motives correctly. But when we interpret their motives wrongly, it brings shame to them and shame in your own life. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Casting down arguments. Ha. I used to enjoy arguing. I, I, won, I was in a debate club and I would win every time. I've had to try and learn and still learning how to cast an argument down. So it doesn't eat me up and won't eat up a person. Learn how to listen through the ears of faith. We need to have ears of faith listening to the source of who says you are and what you are. If our ears are open up to the social media junk, if our ears are open to many of the fake news channels out there, then you're not listening to a good source. You are a son, a daughter. You are destined as an overcomer. You are a warrior in Jesus. You live in victory already. You are powerful in the authority of God. Think right now and ask the question, what does God think about me? I love you unconditionally, says the Lord. I knew you before the foundations of the earth were laid. I had this planned out for you. And my plan is still for you, not against you. And my word has told you that you are a king of, you are a Jesus is the king of kings, so you have kingship royalty in your blood. When you read this word, you read it with eyes and a perspective that you are royalty of the king. This word does not try to condemn you. But this word will bring good conviction into you. When we live within the conviction of this word, shame has no stinging arrows in your life. We need to learn to be grateful. So many people listen to ungratefulness out there. Listen to the lies of fear. I I push my mind, my heart, to be grateful in the middle of a storm. To be grateful in the middle of a circumstance that is not good. Because I am alive, I am grateful for you, O God. My lover, the Savior of of my life. I am grateful for my wife and our marriage of 32 years. I'm grateful for every one of my children. I am grateful for every one of our new sons and daughters. I'm grateful for every grandbaby. Even in the middle of a storm, I'm grateful that I can go and be a part of this family called Windward. I'm grateful that I live in Canada, even though I really don't like some of the laws the government's making right now, I'm still grateful that I live here. I'm grateful that we could all gather together today. Psalms 139 verse 14. David says, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made and that my soul knows very well you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every time you hear shame trying to leave you a message on your supernatural voicemail go into your contact list supernaturally and hit block and hit block let's all stand when you know there's a lie of the devil speaking to you hit block unfriend yeah but they might get offended unfriend them yeah but how will I be able to minister to them unfriend them I'm talking about the lies see thankfulness it rips over it rips open the jail door of shame the first words of that song we did together today shame is is a prison (laughs) guess what I hear the chains are rattling in the spirit right now I hear the doors are shaking on the prison doors of shame because the Holy Spirit is in this house and in this place and I guarantee you Today is the opportunity of the doors of shame. Prison gates to be blasted wide open. I can see in the Spirit right now many gates, many doors of jail cells have been forced open by the Spirit of God. The question is, will you walk out of the cell? Will you walk out of the cell right now, today? I ask you, if you're ready to walk out of any jail cell of shame in your life, walk up here right now. In Jesus' name, just come up front. Be honest, probably applies to every one of us, but I want to let you know, make a decision today that I will not live in the jailhouse of shame. I am going to change my mind, my understanding, and my identity here today. I know I'm a son or daughter of the King, but I will tell you right now, there is more upon more upon more of God's love and blessings pouring out. It's okay, come right up front. I see someone who's experienced such tremendous pain in a relationship and confusion has set in. I want to speak to you right now by the word of the Lord. that's laid in my heart. You are a son, you are a daughter, the king. You are a princess, a prince in the, in the kingdom of God. I know there's painful things that happen in relationships but I will tell you that God has a plan for you that is better than any plan that is against you. Let it go, let it go, let it go and advance forward in the understanding of the deep-rooted love, the deep-rooted love of a father who sent his son to die for us he could rise and give us promised eternal life whatever problem I, I feel like someone is shamed because of finances or bad decisions in business or in financial decisions I feel like shame has been slamming your doors and trying to put 15 different locks on the chain on the on the cell gates I'm here to tell you you can't change bad decisions or things that have happened but you can change how the future looks And you can slam that door shame closed right now say I will not live in the shame of my mistakes I have learned and I have become stronger and I will be wiser now I want to call out the prophetic voices as well. I feel like some have been shamed into silence. I want to speak to the prophetic gifts and the prophetic voices and and the fivefold ministry gifts and the nine gifts of the spirits. I want to speak to each one of those gifts and say, Rise up! You are not in a time of silence that we have entered into a time of a deeper, revelational understanding of sonship. Ha. Be who you're called to be by God. Not who lack of identity says you are. I just, I, 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 I'm kind of going slow because I actually feel there's miracles in the house right now. Physical miracles. If you need a miracle, just reach out and touch heaven. Right now, in Jesus' name. Any pain in your body, any tumors, any diseases, any sicknesses, any breathing disorders, whatever it is. Even if you need to pray for somebody that's not here, just reach out and touch the Spirit of God right now. In Jesus' name. I see... This reaching into Kelowna, reaching into all over British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan. I see the promises reaching into the countries around the world that will even be watching this on social media. That God will touch you in your greatest need right now in Jesus' name. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. and I see babies in the spirit. It's like they're all at attention right now. Babies that haven't even been born. Babies in the spirit. Already looking for fathers and mothers and grandparents. See, we don't gather together for you. We gather together for God. The coming together in the name of God creates a unity. Where two or more are gathered in his name, he is there in the midst of us. And so we gather together as family, but we gather together for God to be released in such supernatural ways in our lives. I truly believe that that's why one of the greatest lies of the enemy was that we weren't able to meet because he did not want family to be together I want to encourage you right now no matter what pain sorrow from the past you have Put it at the foot of the cross right now in Jesus' name. And if you have an imagination, imagine your pain and your sorrow, your sickness and your disease being thrown to the foot of the cross. And look to the light of the risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. see the enemy screaming, No! 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 And I see the angels rejoicing, Yes! 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 And guess what? The voices of heaven are much more powerful and stronger than the cries of the enemy walk in victory. For this is the day that the Lord has made. And you and I, we are to rejoice and be glad in it. Amen.